You know, I've been sharing through the book of Colossians, and I'm going to come back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 is where we're starting tonight. But I've had a, uh, another thought come to me two or three times during this meeting, and I get off teaching on something else and hadn't gotten to it. So I think I'm going to start with it tonight, and we will get this thought out of the way, and then we will go back to Colossians chapter 3. But let's turn over to Leviticus chapter 9. This goes right along with Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we are the temple of the Lord, that he literally indwells us. And here is something that the Lord showed me just in the last year. I'd always wondered about Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. And this is where Nadab and Abihu, who were two sons of Aaron... They were priests. It says in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense therein and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. And of course, the story goes on and talks about how Aaron was just devastated through this and how Moses dealt with it. But I've, I've always wondered about this. I recognized it's the old covenant and things are different under the old covenant. We have a mercy and a grace, but I've always wondered about this. And anyway, the Lord just showed me this within the last year, I think it was, might've been a little over a year. But if you go back into the ninth chapter, uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 20, went up and received the Ten Commandments, and uh, the Lord gave him all of these instructions about the tabernacle, how to build the tabernacle, and he actually saw the temple in heaven, and he was given instructions on how to build the tabernacle, all of the furniture, the Ark of the Covenant, and all of these things. And so the rest of the book of Exodus is all talking about that, and then he comes back, he gives the instructions, he receives an offering from the people to build the tabernacle. They put all of this together. And in the ninth chapter of Leviticus is where they reared the tabernacle up. They put an offering on the altar. They prayed and dedicated the tabernacle to God. And it says here in the ninth chapter, let's read in verse 23. It says, And Moses and Aaron went up into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all of the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar, the burnt offering and the fat, which uh, when all of the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. And anyway, if you go ahead and study the rest of this, I'm not going to take time to read it all. When this fire from God fell at the dedication of the tabernacle, he started a fire on the burnt altar and that fire was to never go out. They had to continually put wood on it and fuel to feed the fire, but the fire started by God. It was a supernatural fire and they were never supposed to offer any other kind of fire. And the reason Nadab and Abihu were struck dead is because they didn't take the fire from the altar. They didn't take the fire that God started. They just started their own fire. And they thought that they would come offer a sacrifice. And that's the reason that God struck them dead. 
And then over in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 is where the second tabernacle or the temple, Solomon's temple was dedicated. And uh, of course this is, it was 430 years after the tabernacle was dedicated before Solomon even started building the temple and it took seven years to build the temple. So this was 437 years later, the tabernacle, all of these skins and stuff had died out. The tabernacle was in Shiloh and the altar or the, uh, not the altar, but the uh, Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem. David had put it there. And so things had changed and they didn't have a central place where God any longer had a temple. So Solomon built a temple and, and it goes through all of the things that he did. And here in the sixth and the seventh chapter, Solomon dedicated this temple to the Lord and he prayed and asked God to come and dwell in this temple. And you can read about this in the sixth chapter. He says, whenever we have trouble or whenever this happens, if we go to the temple, if we pray towards this place, then we ask you to hear from heaven and to heal our land and forgive our sins and do all of these things. And in second Chronicles chapter seven, verse one, it says, now when Solomon had made an end of praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And so this is the exact same thing that happened when the first tabernacle was dedicated. God sent fire from heaven and they had to continually keep it going and you couldn't offer any other fire. This was a fire that was started by God. And the same thing happened with the dedication of the temple. The same thing happened. The fire of God fell as they were praying and consumed the sacrifice. Now look over in Acts chapter two. And this is something I'd never seen until relatively recently, but in Acts chapter two is on the day of Pentecost. And it says in verse one, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them the utterance. You know, I've often wondered about what all of the significance of the fire is. I mean, it was certainly dramatic and all of this, but anyway, I just put these things together and connected the dots that when the first tabernacle where God dwelt was dedicated, fire fell from heaven. When the temple was dedicated, fire fell from heaven. And when we became the temple of God, fire came from heaven. And that's what this was, cloven tongues of fire. And in the same way that God never sent that fire again, but instead we just had to keep it burning. Well, likewise, there is not another instance in the New Testament where tongues of fire came and sat upon anybody. This is how God ignited the fire and started the thing. But we have to just keep ourselves flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you try and substitute your works for what God is supposed to be doing. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Zechariah chapter, I think four, seven, somewhere around there. 
And if you try and live by your own strength, that's like offering strange fire. God is supposed to light a fire on the inside of us, of of all of us. And we become God possessed through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And we live by his fire and you don't live by your own strength and power. And anyway, I've thought of this two or three times as we've been going through the book of Colossians, because this is talking about Christ in us, the hope of glory. We now have the glory of God dwelling on the inside of us. And I just don't think we've got the full revelation of this. You know, if you ever saw this movie, uh, it was one of those Harrison Ford deals, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. I'm not sure which one it was, but anyway, if you see this, you know, they look into the ark or something and it just is devastating. It kills people. And that is a scriptural thing that happened in the old Testament that some of the Jews actually looked into the ark and there was 70,000 people killed because of this. The Philistines captured the ark and there was tens of thousands of them that died because of it. And, and The ark of God was the symbol of God's presence. And you see things like this and it just, you know, puts a reverence, a godly type of fear in you about the power and the awesomeness of God. But what that was, was just symbolic. We actually have God himself living on the inside of us. And I don't think any of us have fully assured our hearts, fully comprehend, fully understood what it means. If you can understand that you are God possessed, that Christ lives on the inside of you, it would just transform your whole approach towards life. You would expect different results. Most people aim at nothing and hit it every time because they just think, well, I'm only human. I'm just a man. After all, what can I do? You need to recognize that God almighty lives on the inside of you, that you are God possessed. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. It's not out there in heaven somewhere. It's inside of you. Man, that is an awesome statement. You have the same power that created the universe alive on the inside of you. And you know what? Most people sit there and they, they acknowledge it, but this is like we were talking about from Colossians chapter two. They may acknowledge it, but they don't understand and they, don't, they haven't assured their heart and they certainly don't have the full assurance or the riches of the full assurance of understanding and acknowledging that Christ is in us. Man, you are powerful. But the average person, when the doctor says you've got cancer, most people look at it as it's cancer. Oh, cancer is terrible. And oh, I am nothing. And cancer is so strong. How could I ever overcome cancer? You don't understand Christ in you, the hope of glory. When the you know, situation is in front of you and it looks like you're never going to make it financially, you don't understand Christ inside of you. He's the one that created all the gold and the silver and all of his power. There is nothing that you cannot do if you understand Christ in you. And if you have the full revelation and assurance of it. So it really comes back to just exactly what the apostle Paul was talking about. He was concerned about these people that they didn't fully understand what they had gotten. And so he was writing to them to make it clear and to try and emphasize exactly what they had. And that's what we've been talking about this week are these scriptures 
out of Colossians about Christ in you and trying to get a greater revelation of what it means to have God Almighty living on the inside of us. Man, that's powerful. You know, I just don't have the words to describe this. This is something you have to gain by revelation. You can't argue a person into this. It's contrary to the natural mind. Your natural mind goes and looks in a mirror and you think, this is God, huh? (laughs) And you just see all of your fallacies and lack of hair or zits or ugly or whatever. And you, you just think, man, this isn't God. But it's not in your physical body and it's not in your soul. People will search their mind and say, so this is as good as it gets. I've got the mind of Christ. No, it's not up here. It's down here in your spirit. In the born again part of you, you are identical to Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17 says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And the word for one there is hes, H-E-I-S, and it means a singular one to the exclusion of another. You aren't just united with the Lord in the sense that he's way up here and you're way down here, but you are his son. No, you are one. You are identical. Your spirit is identical to Jesus because when you get born again, it says in uh, Galatians chapter four, I believe it's verse four, that he has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. You literally receive the spirit of Christ. And I know that there's a lot of people think, well, I believe I've got a born again spirit, but I hadn't got, I'm, I'm not identical to Jesus. I don't have his spirit. I've got my human born again spirit. But it says in Romans chapter eight, verse nine, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his If you're born again, you do have the spirit of Christ. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. This is a great mystery. You can't understand it with your brain. You just have to let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you. But brothers and sisters, you, if you are born again, you have the exact power that Jesus has because it is Jesus living on the inside of you. You've got his power, his anointing, his ability, his finances, his understanding, his compassion. You are identical to Jesus in the spirit. The only difference is that your body and your soul aren't changed yet. And you have to accept these things by faith. And it's only as you get your thinking renewed and understand and persuade yourself of what you have in Christ that you see it come out into your physical body. You can have this resurrection power of God living on the inside of you just inches away from cancer and you can let cancer kill you because it all comes through the way that you think. Proverbs 23, seven, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The way you think determines what's released in your life. If you think like a natural man or a woman, then all you're going to get is the natural realm. You could be the sweetest, kindest, holiest, purest person in here. But if you see yourself as just an old sinner saved by grace and you're waiting on heaven before your life changes and you really get anything of substance from God, then you can die of cancer. You could be poor. 
You can have no power, no anointing flow through you. But the truth is every one of us have God Almighty and everything that He is living on the inside of us in His fullness. Some people think that when you get born again, well, you only get a little bit of God and you got to grow. You got to grow. You're like a baby spiritually and you got to grow and mature. And so there's a lot of Christians that believe, oh, well, I'm complete in the sense that a baby's complete. I could have all my fingers and toes. I could have eyes. I could have everything, but nothing's developed yet. Man, I just can't do it. That's not true. Your spirit is as full grown as Jesus is. You are identical to him right now in quantity and quality. It's not your spirit that grows. It's your mind that grows as you renew it and renew your mind. But right now your spirit is as pure, as perfect as it will ever be in eternity. Your spirit isn't growing, isn't changing. You've got the fullness of Christ on the inside of you. You are indwelt by Christ right now. And the only thing that's keeping this power from getting out into your life is your little peanut brain. Because we don't understand. We don't acknowledge it. We don't understand it. We don't assure our hearts. We don't have the full assurance. We haven't understood these things. We're living like mere men and women. And this is what we were talking about earlier today in the morning session. This is why he said that you've got to seek those things that are above. It takes effort to renew your mind. You know, before you got born again, you spent, I don't know however many years before you got born again, but you spent all of those years just seeing yourself as a natural human being, learning your limitations, learning what you can't do and all of these things. You know, many of us tried to fly. We saw Superman or something. And so we tried to fly and we learned that, well, we can't fly. And so you start learning at a young age that I can't do this and I can't do that. And by the time you get born again, you've got a million things that you believe you can't do. And you see yourself as just this mere human. But you know what? Through Christ, you can do all things. Jesus walked on water. Did you know what? We can do the things that he did. We can do also. You can do that if you need to do it. I've heard stories of people in Indonesia who walked on water to reach a village and stuff. We can do that. I know some of you right now are thinking, boy, you're a little out there. (laughs) But I'm saying, see, we just learned that, no, I can't do this. And I've got to accept sickness and I've got to be sick. And every flu season, you got to get the flu and you got to have the cold once a year. And once you turn 30, you're going downhill, you're over the hill and you start teaching yourself all of this. And that's the only thing that keeps this life of God from manifesting in you is just stinking thinking. And we've got to renew our mind. And I tell you, it's not going to happen naturally because everybody in this world, not only the unbelievers, but even the vast majority of Christians are going to impose these limitations on you. Don't you dare go to believing for healing. Don't you dare go to believing for prosperity. And they will counter this. Don't you dare believe that you can be victorious all of the time, despite the fact that the Bible says that he always causes us to triumph. Don't you believe that you're supposed to suffer. Your suffering makes you better. And, and religion has become one of the greatest promoters of failure and defeat in an attempt to call it compassion They'll say, you need to be compassionate and you need to get down here and just love these people and say, oh, it's really bad, isn't it? 
You know, we had a, we had a minister's conference one time and we had a guy come who I know him and I know some of the things he's been through and he's been through some tough stuff and he was just depressed and it was obvious that he was depressed. He and his wife were depressed. And so anyway, this minister who was ministering with me, he called people forward who were depressed and discouraged. And this guy and his wife were standing there and he came up to him and he says, thus saith the Lord says, don't feel bad. If I wasn't God, I'd be discouraged too. (laughs) I thought it was hilarious, but this couple (laughs) didn't think it was so funny. He went on to minister to him and he says, you know, God's going to bring you through this, but boy, they didn't like it. They said, man, you are, you're making fun of us. You don't understand. And they wanted somebody to get down on their level and, uh, you know, gripe and complain and weep with them. That's what religion is saying that, man, you ought to get down and tell these people, oh, it really is hard. Well, I think you need to have compassion, but sometimes compassion is reaching down and grabbing a person and lifting them up and saying, you can do it. Get with it and go. But religion has come along and man, don't you dare tell people that they should be healed. You know, the pastor of the church that I go to, he, he took me out to eat and talk to me because he was going to do a series on healing. And he knew that I teach a lot on healing. And so he wanted to ask me what I thought. And so he asked me and it didn't affect what he taught one bit, but (laughs) we went out and we ate and he was very nice about it. He's a good man. I love this guy. He's a great guy, but he told me, he says, I would never teach what you teach. I would never say it's God's will to heal every person every time because not every person's going to be healed. And I admit it. I said, not every person is going to be healed, but it's not because God doesn't will to do it. It's because we don't understand and we don't know how to receive. And he says, I'd never say that. That makes a person feel condemned. I'll never say that. I'll never wound a person and stuff. And then he got up on Sunday and taught and he took the scriptures where Jesus, they brought this boy who was lunatic to Jesus in the 17th chapter and his disciples couldn't cast the demons out. And when Jesus heard it, he turned around and he said, you faithless and you perverse generation. How long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to be here? Bring him to me. And he cast the demon out. And as I was listening, I thought, well, Jesus right there said, you faithless and perverse generation. (laughs) Jesus told people that this isn't my will. Jesus is not pleased with our inability to walk in the supernatural power of God. Now, I'm not saying that he's mad at us. His compassion overrides any disappointment that he has. But I tell you, God did not make us to live the beggarly lives that most of us are living. And there is really, there's reasons for it, but there are no excuses because he has given us everything. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You have God living on the inside of you. And just like that, the fire of God fell and consumed the sacrifices and the glory of God filled the temple and the people fell on their face and shouted, I tell you what, we've got what happened back there look like nothing compared to what's on the inside of you. You have the glory of God on the inside of you. Second Second Thessalonians chapter two, I believe it's verse 14, says we have been called to the obtaining of the glory of God. You have the glory of God. You know, when most people talk about the glory of God, they want to see a cloud come in. 
I don't know how many of you were around back 20, 30 years ago when people were into the gold dust and the clouds and all this kind of stuff. And people want to see that. And I'm not saying that God can't manifest. I've got a friend who saw a cloud come into a meeting and stuff. I'm not saying that that can't happen. God can do whatever he wants to. But people are looking for these external things and they're missing the fact that you have the glory of God right here on the inside. People would throw, you know, most people only read the Bible and pray to try and get something from God. And they use it as a stepping stone. And if you were to pray and bombard God, and if there was to come a glory cloud, or if gold dust fell on you, most people would throw the Bible down to have this tangible manifestation because that's what they were really wanting. They were just using this as a stepping stone. You need to get to a place where, man, this is sufficient. When God says that you have Christ living on the inside of you, you have obtained the glory of God. When you see how the power of God fell when the temple and the tabernacle were dedicated and then on the day of Pentecost, you need to recognize that you have this glory on the inside of you. And we need to get to a place to where if a cloud comes in, have at it. Amen. If there's glory, dust and stuff, wonderful but who cares? Man, I've got the glory of God on the inside of me. That's more important to me than these other things. I had a woman come to me one time. She opened up her Bible and she says, look at this. And she had gold dust on her Bible that she believes the Holy Spirit put there. And she showed it to me and says, what do you think? And I go, you got something on your Bible. She didn't like that very much. But she loved the gold dust more than the Bible that it was on. That's just stupid. I had a friend of mine that was convinced he was seeing the glory cloud of God come into church every Sunday. And then he got glasses and found out he just didn't see very good. Did you know Jesus never had a glory cloud appear in his meeting? on the Mount of Transfiguration, there was a cloud that came over and a voice that came out of it. There was only three people there. In his meetings, he never had a glory cloud. He never had gold dust. He never had any of these things. And you know what? I'm just content to be just like Jesus. I don't have to have anything that he didn't have. I know that there's some people in here thinking, man, you're just coming against everything that I believe in. What I'm trying to do is get your attention back on Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why do you have to have some external manifestation? If you have the glory, the revelation that you've got the glory of God living on the inside of you, why are you seeking after all of this stuff? See, this is what he said in Colossians chapter three. Why are you into all of these rules and regulations? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all going to perish. We now don't, we don't have to look for the external. We don't have to live in symbolism and ritual. We have God almighty living on the inside of us. You don't need God to stretch forth his hand, rend the heavens and come down and touch you and do all of this. You're already touched. Some of you are more touched than others. You've already got the power of God on the inside of you. You don't need God to do something or to give you something. What you need is a revelation of what you already have. I don't know if I'll ever get back to Colossians. Look at this in, (laughs) 
Look in Romans chapter 8. I really had some things I was going to share with you. I thought they were pretty good, but Romans chapter 8. And in verse 17, it says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Can you wrap your brain around what it means to be a joint heir with Christ? A joint heir. That means that everything that Jesus has, you have. The same power that created the universe lives on the inside of you. All of his wisdom, all of his ability, all of his compassion, you've got all of that. And again, so many people just struggle with this because they go look in the mirror and they think, I can't see it. They search their emotions and they just can't feel it. And they say, well, you say I've got it, but man, I can't see it. I can't perceive it. That's because spirit is spirit and flesh is flesh. You cannot perceive spiritual truth with just your physical, natural senses. The only way to know it is through the word of God. John chapter six, verse 63, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If you want to know what is true in the spiritual you, in this spiritual universe, you have to look at the word of God. You can't perceive it in just your feelings. You know, the Bible says that right now we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. I don't know exactly what that means, but I believe that that's talking about angels, possibly people that have already gone on to be with the Lord. I don't know exactly all that that means, but I guarantee there's things going on in the spiritual realm. I know for sure that there are angels in this place. Because the Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who love him. The scripture says that what they had in the Old Testament is inferior to us. And Elijah had thousands and thousands and thousands of angels surrounding him in 2 Kings chapter 6. So if I've got something better than Elijah, I've got at least tens of thousands of angels. And you've got tens of thousands of angels. Man, there are, there are who knows, billions of angels in this place. And somebody says, well, I can't see them. That doesn't mean they're here. they aren't here. It just means that you're carnal. <laughs> That's just like a person who says, well, I don't believe there's any television signals in here because you can't see it. That doesn't mean they aren't here. All you have to do is take a television set and turn it on and you can prove that the television signals are already here. They're in here right now, but you aren't benefiting from it because you don't have a receiver that will take those things out of the unseen realm and put it into a seen realm. But they are here. Likewise, there is a spiritual world. And likewise, there is a spiritual you on the inside. And you have all of, you are a joint heir with Jesus. Everything that Jesus has, you have on the inside of you. You don't need more. You need less. Less doubt and unbelief. Less control by your carnal senses. And you need to, you know, that song that Charlie and Jill were singing, be still 
and know that I'm God. One of the things that happens when you still yourself, when you withdraw from your daily routine in all of the forms of unbelief that are coming at you and you just separate yourself and sit in the presence of God, you will start perceiving things that you don't perceive at other times. You know, not too long ago, a couple of years ago, I I woke up in the middle of the night and I had a dream. And in this dream, I saw this ticker tape going by that said, uh, Psalms chapter 46, verse 10. And I've quoted that verse a thousand times, but for the life of me in this dream, I couldn't think of what Psalms 46, 10 said. So as soon as I woke up, I opened up the Bible and I read that, be still and know that I am God. And I thought, this is God speaking to me. So I didn't know exactly, you know, I believe that being still isn't talking about just being motionless. It's talking about withdrawing yourself from things that occupy your attention and put your attention upon God. But just to make sure, Jamie was gone that day doing something and I just decided I was going to be still. And I sat in this chair out on our uh, little porch patio thing that we've got. And I sat there and for an hour and a half, I didn't do anything but breathe and blink. That's the biggest motion that I had. I sat perfectly still. I had deer walk right up to me and look at me because I was so still. They couldn't, they they could see me, but I wasn't moving. And they came up and nearly put their nose to my nose. I had chipmunks come up and crawl on me because I just sat totally still. There was dozens of chipmunks and there was thousands of ants everywhere. And there were uh, crows flying around and I heard the breeze in the tree. And you know, one of the things that I learned through that is that all of those things were there all of the time, but you get busy and you get to doing things. And I didn't pay attention to all of these animals, to the sound of the tree. And I just became aware of things that were already there but I missed them because I was busy, because I was occupied with other things. And I believe that that happens in the spiritual realm. We get so busy with our life in the natural that, you know, the scripture says in John chapter 10, that my sheep hear my voice. He didn't say they can hear my voice. He says, they do hear my voice and the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. That's what he promised us. And yet the average Christian would say, I don't hear the voice of God. The truth is you do hear it, but it's a still small voice and you've got to be still. You've got to be quiet. You've got to be open to it. You've got to be looking for these things. God is speaking to you. I bet you every person in here at some time or another has made a decision and you felt kind of like you might ought to go this direction, but counsel, wisdom, just logic led you to go in another direction. So you go that direction. And as soon as it falls apart and doesn't work, you said, I knew I should have done the other. How did you know? You think, well, it's just intuition. It's ESP. No, it's God speaking to you, but he speaks in a still small voice and he's not going to argue with you and he won't force you. You've got to be still. You've got to focus on who you are in Christ. You've got to be looking for this revelation. So anyway, you are an heir, a joint heir with Christ. Everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. And then it says in the next verse, this is Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Notice it didn't say the glory which shall be revealed to us. This is how most Christians think. When we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. Boy, I'm going to become this 
perfect person. I'm going to become totally cleansed and all of these things. No, when you get to heaven, your spirit is as perfect right this moment as it's going to be a billion years from now in eternity. Your spirit is perfect right now. It's full of love, joy, peace, power. You aren't going to get one thing from God in your spirit, but your mind is going to change so that you will know all things. First Corinthians chapter 13, and your mortal body will be changed into an immortal body. So your body and soul are going to be changed, but your spirit is as perfect right this moment as it will ever be in eternity because it is the spirit of Christ sent into your heart. Christ lives on the inside of you. And if you could just get this revelation, I tell you what, it would change the way that you live your life. You wouldn't expect to hit nothing every time. You would go to expecting that, man, I've got this power. I've got this wisdom on the inside of me. In the same way that Jesus, I mean, Jesus would walk under a tree and look up and say, Zacchaeus, come down. Had never seen the man before and he called him by name. Did you know you have that ability? John 14, 12 says, the works that I do shall you do also and greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my father. And again, religion tries to get around that by saying, well, the greater works are being on radio and television and we're reaching people and doing things that Jesus never did. I don't believe those are the greater works, but let's not even argue about that. What are you going to do with the part of the verse that says the works that I do shall you do also and greater works until you get to where you raise the dead and call people's names out that you've never seen and have words of knowledge and say, you can go into the city and meet a man bearing a picture, follow him and tell him that we're going to use his house, which Jesus did. Until you get to where you do all of these things that Jesus did, don't even worry about the greater works. Just do those works. You know, again, I'm not a perfect example, but I've, at one time, I don't focus on the Lord as well as I should. And right now we're in a situation where I'm letting other people do most of the prayer and ministry, which I think is the right thing to do. I'm supposed to be raising up disciples. I can't do it all on my own. But back in the early days of our ministry, man, I was checking these things out and I saw Jesus call Zacchaeus by name. And so I started believing, I believe I can do that. And I'd pray and I had people come to our church and I'd just go up and tell them what their name was. I'd read their mail. I'd say things to people. You know what? You can do that. I've seen it happen. It worked. You can do this. Some of you think, well, I don't have that gift. Yes, you do. Everything that Jesus did, you can do also. You know, I don't have the gift of healing as far as I know, but I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen three people raised from the dead. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen miracles, not through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but believers will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Man, don't use that as an excuse. Well, I just, this isn't my gifting. Every one of you can do this. When Jamie and I were in Lamar, Colorado, we had seven women in our Bible study who were all sisters and their mother died. And so they just called all of the other sisters and went over and raised their mother from the dead. And she got up and walked two miles into town, bought groceries and came back. And these are just housewives. None of them were in the ministry, not a single one of them. 
You raise your milkman from the, oh, I don't guess you have milkman now, David. You raise your, po- your mailman from the dead and you know what? You'll have all the revival you can handle. You know, Charlie and Jill sang this song about revival and some people think, well, you've criticized revival and said some things about it. I'm not against revival. What I'm critical of is the way people are praying as if they don't have anything to do with it and they're begging God to send it. And Charlie and Jill changed the words instead of, oh, revive us and just praying and begging God. It's like, I'm going to bring revival. Amen. I believe in revival. I want to see everybody turned on to the Lord, but the way it happens isn't by you getting in your prayer closet and begging God to send revival. It's in finding out that Christ is in you, getting a revelation of it. Go out and raise somebody from the dead and you'll have all the revival you can handle. Amen. Go out and start, go up to people at work and say, God showed me this and start telling them things by the gifts of the spirit. And I guarantee you, you'll have a revival or a revival or a riot, one of the two. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you've already got it. And when Jamie and I started seeing these things, we didn't know anything, but just immediately we started believing for things. Because if I've got this power on the inside of me, I'm not content to just let it stay there dormant. Man, I'm going to put it to use. I'm going to try it. And we started seeing miracles happen, people healed and awesome things happening. And we didn't know, nobody else had taught us. Nobody told us these things were happening. We just knew that if we are joint heirs with Christ, if this glory is gonna be revealed in us, not to us, but it's in us and it's gonna be revealed, well then praise God, I'm gonna start getting it out right now. I'm gonna start operating in it now. Man, I pray that you understand what I'm saying. If every one of you could honestly believe that you have the raising from the dead power on the inside of you right now, you'd live your life differently. You wouldn't put up with the aches and the pains and the problems that you've got. One of the reasons you put up with it is because you don't want to get out and start fighting and confronting it because you aren't sure it'll work. And rather than be discouraged or you just avoid it, you just embraced it. You've just accept that you're over the hill and that you're supposed to be living sick now. Moses was 120 years old and his natural force wasn't abated nor his eyesight dim. If that happened to a man under the old covenant who didn't have the glory of God on the inside of him, well then praise God, we ought to be able to walk in these kind of things. But people have accepted an inferior life because they honestly don't feel that they have it. They think that it's out there and there's so many hurdles and so much effort and prayer and all of these things before I can reach this place. If you could just get the revelation that you've already got it, that it's on the inside of you, man, that's different. It is so much easier to release something that you've already got than it is to go get something that you don't have. There is zero doubt that you'll get it if you've already got it. Just because you've got it doesn't mean it's going to necessarily manifest itself because it has to flow through you. You have to believe God. So there is still effort and you need to get in and renew your mind. But man, it is just, it changed my life when I got this revelation of who I was in Christ and who Christ was in me. And then in my spirit, I am a totally changed person. 
And I have the supernatural power of God already living on the inside of me. When I saw that, I was just determined that there was not going to be anything that would stop me from tapping into it. And I haven't done it perfectly, but I tell you what, I've seen things happen that were just, it's absolutely miraculous compared to where I was. Look over here in Ephesians chapter one. I've told you that Ephesians and Colossians are parallel books and both of them are written from a different mindset than what most people have. Most people are trying to get something from God, but the book of Ephesians, it's really clear. He starts off in verse three by saying, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, that means it's already been done, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're already blessed. You don't need to be blessed. You're already blessed. You just need to understand what you've already got. And to that end, he goes on down here in the 14th verse and he starts praying a prayer for the people. And look at this prayer in Ephesians chapter one, verse 14. He says, uh, which is the earnest of our inheritance. I used that verse earlier. Uh, I think it was yesterday, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Let me ask you this. If you were to be praying for somebody and they were going to read this prayer 2,000 years in the future, how would you pray? What would you pray? Think about that. I can tell you because I listen to a lot of people's prayers. I go into a lot of churches. I hear different people. Most people would be praying something like, oh God, just send your power. Oh God, touch these people. Oh God, let there be revival. Oh God, stretch forth your hand. And you would be pleading with God to do something to make those people what they're supposed to be. Look at what Paul said. Here he is praying and he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm going to read these verses, but to sum it, summarize it, he's just praying that you would get a revelation of what he has already done. He's not pleading with God to move. He's pleading that you would understand what God has already done. There's a huge difference between that. See, if I, if over there is healing and here I am sick and I say, I believe that God heals today. I believe that I can be healed. And in the name of Jesus, I'm going to be healed. I am going to get there. Did you know that sounds good to most people, but you are already confessing that you aren't there. You're confessing that it's possible that you may not get there. But if you can look at it this way, that no, I'm already healed. First Peter 2, 24, I've already been healed and now I am healed. And even though my body doesn't look healed and it doesn't feel healed and the doctor says I'm not healed, I know it's done. I've already got it and I refuse to move off of this. That is a totally different attitude. It is so much easier to occupy a place and defend what Jesus has already done than it is to try and go and get God to do something. And as a whole, the body of Christ believes God can do anything, but he has done nothing. And that you've got to pray and get God to move. But the truth is he's already done it. 
And so here's Paul praying this prayer and say, Lord, in verse uh, 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's just praying that your eyes would be in line. This exact word that it's talking about right here, the eyes of your understanding, the Greek word is dianoia and it means deep thought, not just thought, but deep thought. That's the reason it was translated understanding, not just a surface acquaintance, but you, you have the, uh, the understanding and the riches of the full assurance of understanding is exactly what this is talking about. And in verse 19, he says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power, etc. He's praying that you would get a revelation of the power that is already in you, his inheritance that's in the saints, not in glory, but in the saints. What God has placed on the inside of you, you have the fullness of Jesus on the inside of you. Jesus is the fullness of God. Hebrews chapter one, verse three, he's the express image of the father. If God had to replace what is on the inside of you, it would bankrupt heaven. Heaven could not fill the void. You've got the fullness of the Godhead. You got all of the power of God on the inside of you already. Man, that is awesome. It's already there. And he's praying that you would get a revelation of it. The same power that God used when he raised Jesus from the dead. That was the greatest demonstration of God's power that the world has ever seen. When God created the heavens and the earth, that was certainly powerful. But you know what? There wasn't any opposition. It was relatively easy. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, I guarantee you every demon out of hell was standing there at that tomb trying to stop Jesus from coming back to life because his whole future hinged on that. Every demon in the universe was right there at the tomb trying to stop this and they couldn't do it. The power that was used to raise Jesus from the dead is greater than any other manifestation of God, greater than the creation of the world, greater than the healing of a cancer, greater than anything. And you have this same power that was used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead already on the inside of you. You don't need more power. You need a revelation of the power that you already have in Christ. You need to get a revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Man, the hope of healing, the hope of deliverance, the hope of prosperity, the hope of joy, the hope of peace, everything that Jesus is and everything that he has is already on the inside of you. It's not a matter of getting God to do something for you. It's a matter of you letting out what God has already placed on the inside of you. And the key to it, the gate to all of that is your brain. As you think in your heart, that's what you're going to experience. And if you are thinking like a mere man or woman who is saved and someday you're going to go to heaven, but right now 
There's no real difference between you and an unsaved person. So therefore you're, you're subject to the same uh, recession that unbelievers are because after all, you're just a man or a woman. If you think that way, you'll be poor. You'll suffer. You'll be the one that gets laid off. You'll have all of these things happen. If you see yourself as just a man or a woman, then when sickness comes knocked on your door, you won't have any more faith. You'll panic just like the people that don't know God. But if you know who you are, if you know that Christ is in you, it changes the way you think about things. You expect different things. And it's not automatic. There is a renewing of your mind. There are things that you have to do. But I tell you, once you know that you got it, it just makes a difference. It makes a difference. You know, if somebody told you that there was a million dollars buried in your backyard, you'd probably start doing something to find it. But if you weren't, if you didn't real, if you weren't assured, if you weren't fully assured, if you just thought, well, maybe it's here, you might work for a while. But you know what? When you start sweating and you get tired and hot, you'll say, I'm not sure. And you just let it go. But if you acknowledged, understood, have the full assurance, if you knew that that million dollars was buried in your backyard, if you had one of these huge old bulldozers, that would be great. But if all you had was a spoon, you could still get it (laughs) if you just didn't quit. If you were absolutely convinced, you'd just stick at it and you'd eventually find it. Likewise, once you understand what you have in Christ and that Jesus is on the inside of you, well, then the more you know of the Word of God, the easier it is to get it out. The easier you can access it. The more success you will have using it. But if you just got this revelation, even if you didn't understand about the power of the tongue, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Even if you didn't understand faith without works is dead. If you didn't understand the power of agreement, if you didn't understand renewing your mind, the power of praise and on and on, I could talk about a lot of things that the word of God reveals that stop the enemy and release the power of God. If you didn't understand any of those things, if you just understood that you've got the power of God on the inside of you, I guarantee you, you would eventually see it manifest if you didn't quit. But see, we haven't been fully assured. We aren't absolutely confident that we have God living on the inside of us. And so we just give token resistance. We pray. And if things don't just happen easily, well, you know, you weren't really expecting much in the first place. But boy, when you find out that Christ lives on the inside of you, it ought to change your expectancy. You ought to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. I pray that God right now is making some of you just absolutely terrified, upset with where you are. Sometimes you've got to afflict the comforted before you can comfort them. Sometimes you've got to get people to where they're they're just tired of living a beggarly life. I'm telling you, God made us for something greater than this. I travel the world. I've been to places where, you know what, it's so dangerous that they can't have a place to meet the believers. And so they just all pray and God tells them where to go and they all assemble at one house. Do the people in China have a different God? Does God do something for them that he won't do for us? 
No, it's just the fact that that's what they need. They believe for it and they draw on this. And you know what? God can tell you things supernaturally. He can show you things. He could lead you to where to go. He can save your life. I couldn't tell you how many times God has told me to move or do something and it saved my life. One time I was standing down below this dam that I built and God told me to move. And within a minute, that dam broke and I would have died. And God saved my life and just spoke to me and told me to move. God can speak to every single one of us like that. God speaks to us. God told me not one time not to get on an airplane. And it turned out that I didn't go on the airplane and 169 people died. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. God will speak to you. The Lord spoke to me one time about that we were going to, you know, this is a small thing, but if you can't trust God in small things, you can't trust him in big things. It's progressive. You have to lift five pounds before you can lift a hundred pounds. And some people are waiting until you got cancer before you start trying to believe God for healing. You ought to start trusting God for your colds. But anyway, a small thing, I had these horses, five horses that a guy let me keep on his property free of charge. And he came to me every Sunday. He was in my church and he says, I love having your horses there. I don't have to mow the pasture anymore. He says, man, I just love it. And he, there was no indication that he didn't like it. And I was praying because in uh, John chapter 16, verse 13, it says the Holy Spirit, when he has come, will show you things to come. And I said, God, show me something to come. And I started asking him. I said, this is what you've promised that I have. Show me things to come. Show me things that are beyond my ability to understand. And the thing he spoke to me is, he says, the guy that, keeps, that has that pasture is going to tell you that he's got, you've got to move your horses. And when I thought that, I thought, this is crazy. He loves having my horses there. But I prayed about it and I felt like this was God speaking to me. So I went and started looking for another place to put my horses. I found them. I was moving them on Wednesday. And on Sunday, I went to church and this guy walked right up to me. He had never said one negative word in years. And he says, I can't stand it any longer. Get those horses off my property this week. I was just shocked. And I said, no problem. I'm moving them on Wednesday. And it was already taken care of. And that did something for me. It was like, I can hear the voice of God. God can speak to me. He can show me things to come. So I started praying and saying, God, what else? (laughs) And you know what? The Lord led me to buy some property and build a house. And I mentioned this this morning. We were going to put a little trailer on there because that's all that we could afford. And God led a man to me that uh, we probably built a $120,000 house for $60,000. We got it half price. And now our tax evaluation is 400 and something thousand dollars. It's appreciated over the years. And yet I've spent $60,000 on it 25 years ago. We've been debt free for a long time. And all of that happened because I started saying, show me something to come. And he spoke to me about those horses. And then he led me in the next step. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we're living below our privileges. God will tell you things. He will guide you. He will show you things. You've got Christ in you. The hope of glory. And I just pray that through this week that God has stirred you up and made you focused on this so that you could start realizing that you are God possessed. You are not just a man or a woman. 
You are a God-possessed person. One-third of you is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. One-third of you is filled with the fullness of God. And you just need to go to drawing it out. And the way I do that is through the revelation of God's Word. I pray and ask God and God speaks to me. God showed me the things that I know about it through the Word of God. I've listened to some other people and I've gained truths from other people. And I'm not saying that you don't listen to other people, but I can tell you 90% or more of everything God has ever shown me. It came directly from God praying and letting the Holy Spirit show me. You don't need to be so arrogant that you think nobody can teach you something and not listen to other people. But at the same time, don't be totally dependent upon them. I've already used that verse out of Colossians 3.10 that put on the new man, which has been renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. First Corinthians 2.16, in the spirit, you have the mind of Christ. First John chapter two, verse 20, you have an unction. That means a special anointing from God and you know all things. Your spirit man knows everything. First John chapter two, verse 27, you need not that any man teach you, but as that anointing teacheth you all things and is truth and is no lying, even as he hath taught you, you shall abide in him. The Lord will teach you and show you, but you got to show up for class. The Holy Spirit is your teacher to reveal, but you've got to show up for class. You're going to have to turn off some other stuff. You're going to have to separate yourself and spend time at the feet of the Lord. God wants to show you this more than you want to know it. But you've got to show up. And I know this sounds like a crass commercial, but it's just the truth. You can either spend 45 years seeking God the way I have and learn it all by hard knocks, or you can come to Karis Bible College and learn in a couple of years the things that it's taken me 45 years to learn. We can expedite this thing. You don't have to be as dense as I've been, amen. You can learn at other people's expense. So there's, there's just no reason for us not getting this revelation of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. But I'm telling you, just like the apostle Paul was saying right here, this is the key to everything. You already have this raising from the dead power on the inside of you. And you need to quit begging God to give you something that he's already given you. And instead you need to say, Father, show me, help me to understand. Give me revelation. Pray this prayer that's in Ephesians chapter one. It's a prayer. And you know, it's according to the word of God because Paul prayed it and wrote it down. It's scripture. So just put your name in there and say, I pray that the Lord would give me Andrew or put your name in there the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open up the eyes of my understanding. Show me the exceeding greatness of your power towards me. The same power that you used when you raised Christ from the dead. And then Ephesians chapter three has a second prayer where he prays that you with all saints would be rooted and grounded in love. And you might be able to comprehend with all saints, the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the love of God, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Put your name in there and pray those two prayers in Ephesians chapter one and chapter three. And I guarantee you, if you're sincere and if you will give the Lord time, he will reveal these things to you. And you can start living 
like a person who has God Almighty living on the inside of you. You can be immune to the economic downturns because God will supply your need according to his riches in glory. You can be immune to sickness and disease because no plague will come nigh your dwelling. He'll give his angels charge over you. They'll bear you up in their hands and you won't dash your foot against a stone. That you only with your eyes will you see the reward of the wicked, but the plague won't come nigh you. All of those things are promises to us, but you've got to appropriate them. God has provided it. He's put the power on the inside of you, but now it's up to you to reach out and take it. And it starts by the renewing of your mind. If you just see yourself as a mere man or woman who is eternity is waiting out in the future and then you're going to be complete. But right now, the only thing that's happened is you're just forgiven, but you didn't get anything for it. Well, then you're going to go through life just being beat up by the devil. You need to find out who you are and recognize what you've got. And I promise you, if you do that, it'll transform your life. I never did find Colossians (laughs) three, but all of this stuff is in there. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for all of us, that you would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that you would open up the eyes of our understanding, that we might see the hope of what you've given us, the exceeding greatness of your power that you've manifested towards us, the same power that you used when you raised Christ from the dead. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would take these things tonight and make this real to people, that people who have been beat up knowing that you have the power, but thinking that it's way out there someplace. They haven't realized it was inside of them and that they have the authority to use it. Father, I pray that you'd change their hearts. Help them to recognize that they've got this raising from the dead power on the inside of them. Father, I pray that this just makes us intolerant to all of the things that Satan is doing to destroy our lives and to destroy the lives of other people, that we will rise up and start using this supernatural power to see your will manifest in our lives, that we will refuse to live like mere men and women, that we'll live like people who've been changed, who have your power, who have Christ living on the inside of us. Father, I just released this. I released the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that you are making people supernaturally uncomfortable with being normal. And that we would want to be the people of God. That we would want to start walking in this supernatural divine power manifest in our life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You know, I feel like the Lord's speaking to some people right now that your situation has been so pitiful, so bad that you constantly are telling people about how bad your situation is, looking for sympathy, looking for pity. And I'm not saying that you don't have problems, but I'm saying God's trying to speak to you right now saying that, yeah, you've got problems, but you've also got the answer on the inside of you. There's no reason that people ought to pity you. There's no reason that you ought to approach things as this person who has no power, who is helpless 
and just constantly begging for other people to help you out. You've got the power of God living on the inside of you. You need to stand up and start using it. You need to stand up on the inside. You need to quit seeing yourself as under all of these circumstances. You need to be above only and not beneath. The head and not the tail. Praise God. I believe that the Holy Spirit is in love, chastising, rebuking some people and telling you to act, stand up. Start acting like a person who God inhabits and start drawing on that power and quit looking at yourself as a mere man or woman. Praise God. There's some people in here right now who the devil has just been running roughshod over you and over your family and over your finances. And you've prayed and asked God hundreds of times for deliverance, but you haven't stood and taken your authority and demanded the devil to let go of you. You need to stand up. You need to take your authority. You need to resist the devil. It says resist the devil and he will flee from you. You've been asking God to get the devil off your case. God's telling you to get the devil off your case. Use the power that he's given you. Speak in the name of Jesus and command these things to stop. Stand against it, resist, fight, and the devil will flee from you. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Father, I just agree and I speak these things and I believe people are receiving this word. Thank you, Father, for setting us free and thank you for this revelation. We believe it's changing people's lives. Father, bring these things back to our remembrance, whatsoever Jesus has spoken to us. I pray that people won't lose this. They won't leave here and then go back to being the way that they were. Father, I pray that people will remember these things and it'll change their life. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, if you aren't born again, then you need to be born again because everything I was talking about, Christ living on the inside of you is dependent upon you making Jesus your personal Savior. If you've never done that, then you don't have this power on the inside. You are a mere man or woman and plus you are enslaved to the devil. That's what the scripture says. You have no power. You have no hope of ever breaking free. The first step is you've got to make Jesus your Lord. And then after, even after Jesus' disciples got born again, he told them, he says, don't go anywhere. Don't tell anybody about him being raised from the dead. Don't do anything until you receive power from on high. They had Christ living on the inside of him, but Jesus never did a single miracle until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus would not operate independent of the Holy Spirit, it's because the Godhead is one. God can't be separated into Father, Son, and Holy Spirit except for the purpose of discussion, really. But they are one. They flow together. The Holy Spirit is how God created the heavens and the earth. It's how God moved through Jesus. And Jesus didn't do one recorded miracle until he received the Holy Spirit. And he told his disciples not to do anything until they received the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, they would have power. So you get born again, Christ comes and lives on the inside of you, but you don't really manifest the power of God until you receive the baptism 
of the Holy Spirit. This is where the cloven tongues of fire came and sat upon them and they spoke with other tongues. Speaking in tongues is one of the ways that you know you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we've already had hundred, uh, 211 people come in these four services and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I know we've got new people here tonight. I don't want anybody to leave here and try and implement what I've talked about on your own. When the Holy Spirit has come, it says that he will show us Jesus. He will reveal Jesus to us. He will teach us all things and lead us into all truth. You cannot retain what I've talked about unless the Holy Spirit begins to start giving this revelation to you. You can't see Jesus in you with your physical eyes. You can't feel him with your emotions. You have to perceive it by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You have to discern it by the Holy Spirit revealing it to you. So if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues, I guarantee you, you will not be able to really get the full revelation of Christ on the inside of you. You need this. You know, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a lot of things happened. But the number one change that happened for me is that the Word came alive. I couldn't open the Bible without hearing God just yell at me. I couldn't read a verse without it burning on the inside of me. The Holy Spirit just made the Bible come alive. The Holy Spirit started giving me revelation. And that is one of the awesome things that comes when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if there's anybody here tonight who has never made Jesus your Lord, you must be born again. And then if you are born again, but if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, you need this baptism of the Holy Spirit to be able to succeed in the Christian life. Is there anybody here tonight who would raise your hand and say, man, that's me. I want to receive. Would you pray for me? If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are. We got people way back here at the back. You know, it's, there's some others over here. It's a little hard to see with these lights. But if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, just get up out of your seat. Come forward. We want to pray with you and help you to receive right here tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, we've had nearly twice as many people receive the Holy Spirit in three days as received it in the upper room. And yet those 120 people went out and turned the world right side up. Our lives are still impacted today because of what happened. And here we are 2,000 years later and the Holy Spirit is still filling people, changing people's lives. And you have the potential to go out and not only change your life, but to see other people's lives change. This gives you power to be a witness. It's going to change your life. This is a life-changing experience. Awesome. Thank 
you, Father. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, there's some people that wonder, well, what are you going to do? All we're going to do is pray for you. I'm mean, we aren't going to do anything weird. I've been in services where they prayed for people to receive the Holy Spirit. And one person was saying, hang on. And another one was saying, let go. And slapping them on the back, doing everything. All we're going to do is just real simply pray. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm going to give you a free book. So you got nothing to lose. If you don't speak in tongues, you ought to be down here. You know, this morning I was, it was either this morning or last night, I was urging people. And I bet you after I started saying, you ought to come down here, we probably had another 15 or 20 people come forward. I know that there's people out there who, for whatever reason, you don't speak in tongues and yet you aren't coming forward. I've had people before say, well, let me think about it. I don't want to let you think about it. Look what you're thinking about it has gotten you. And some of you are 40, 50 years old and you still had never spoken in tongues. If God is dealing with you, you ought to come forward. You know, there's some people who watch me on television and they hear testimonies about my son being raised from the dead and miracles happening. would like to have that power of God manifest in their life. But then when I go to telling you what caused it, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they think, oh, that's not what we believe. In other words, they like the fruit, but they don't like the root that produced it. I'm telling you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what changed my life. I was such an introvert. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. What I'm doing is absolutely impossible to my natural self. The Holy Spirit changed me. And if you like anything that you've heard or seen, you need to come and accept that I'm telling you, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that set a fire on the inside of me. I didn't have cloven tongues of fire come sit on my head, but I had a fire lit in my heart. This changed my life when I received the Holy Spirit. And if you don't speak in tongues, you just need to put yourself in neutral and come up here and let us push you along. We'll pray for you. You know, the worst thing that could happen to you is that you come down here and don't get anything and you go back with a free book. That's the worst thing that could happen. You aren't going to get anything bad. If you don't speak in tongues, you ought to come down here. You need to check it out. You need to pray and see what God's going to do. Amen. I know that there's others out there, but I'm not going to just hold the service forever, but you ought to come up here. You ought to come. ashamed of, people will clap for you. Amen. We're excited about this. 
we know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit did to our life, and we're excited to see this happen for you. It'll change your life. Praise the Lord. This is awesome. Praise God. You know, I've said this every service. I know some of you have been here and you've heard me say this, but these people haven't heard this, and they need to understand these things in order to be able to receive from God. But the Bible says Jesus is the one who gives the the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. So if you have never made Jesus your personal Lord, if you aren't absolutely certain that you were to die right now, you would go to heaven. If you're just hoping that you would, then you need to pray first and make Jesus your Lord. You need to make sure you're born again because only people who've already received Jesus as their Lord can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. So that's the very first step. Is there anybody down here who's not absolutely certain? If you have any doubt about whether or not you are really in right standing with God and you would go to be with the Lord, I need to pray with you first. Is there anybody who would raise your hand and say, pray with me and make sure that I'm born again? Anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Anyone? Are all of you born again? Are you sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. And there's a lot of people today who just are assuming that they're going to go to heaven because they are a relatively good person. Here's a lady right here. You know, if you aren't sure, you need to pray and make sure. It's real simple. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He's already forgiven your sins. He's died for your sins. It's not a matter of will he forgive me. He's forgiven you. He's paid for your sins. It's not a matter of will God forgive you. It's a matter of will you receive it? Will you make Jesus your Lord? It's more than just saying the words. It's a commitment that I want you to take control of my life. I'm turning my life over to you. I'm going to live for you. It's not a promise that you won't make a mistake because you can't live that, but you are willing to live for God to the best of your ability with Him helping. Anybody else besides this one lady? Anybody else want to pray and just make sure? Here's another one right here. Anybody else? Praise God. Here's one down here. Isn't that awesome? Two down here. Now you came this morning, didn't you? Did you pray for salvation this morning? I think you did. You know, you don't have to keep asking. If you got saved this morning, you're saved tonight. Amen. But you need to make sure. So anybody else want to make sure? Here's a couple of more. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Here's, Amen. I want you just to repeat a prayer after me. It's not magic. It's not like if you just say these words, you're instantly saved. The Bible says you have to say these words and believe it in your heart. But if you will believe the things that I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and if you will say this and believe it, then you will be born again. Amen. Isn't that awesome? He's already paid for the forgiveness of your sins. All you got to do is reach out and take it. So I want to ask everybody in here to pray with me. And if you will say this and mean it from your heart, you'll be born again. Isn't that an awesome deal? Man, that's wonderful. You can avoid hell tonight by just praying and believing this prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. 
I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you now live in me. That I have Christ in me. I am saved. I am forgiven right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You believe that? Awesome. You believe that? Wonderful. If you prayed that and meant it, then according to the Bible, you're a brand new creature. You aren't changed in your physical body. You're still a male or a female. You didn't change in your mind. You're still going to have the same identity, the same thoughts. But in your spirit, you're a brand new person is what the Bible says. And the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God created you to fill with the Holy Spirit. So there's no way he would keep from giving you the Holy Spirit. This is what you were created for. This is what he wants to do is to fill you with his spirit. So we aren't going to beg God. I don't know how many of you have been exposed to teaching and people trying to get you filled with the Spirit. But there's so many people that teach that you have to tarry and that you have to beg and it takes 20 and 30 years. That's not true. All you got to do, God wants to fill you more than you want to be filled. And he said in Luke eleven thirteen, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All you got to do is just ask in faith and believe and God fills you with the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to lead you in a real simple prayer. We're going to open up the doors of your temple and welcome the Holy Spirit to come and live on the inside. And I guarantee if you crack the door just a little, God will come in. He wants to fill you. So we're going to lead you in a real simple prayer. And then I'd like our prayer ministers to come up here. And these people are going to stand behind you and they're going to lay hands on you. Because in the Bible, it says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So these people are going to come stand. And after we pray, they're going to lay hands on you and release the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. We're doing what the Bible said to do. And after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking God to give you the Holy Spirit. And I want you to thank him that he did it because he promised that he would. So you need to use some faith and just start thanking him. I'm talking about out loud in English. Start thanking him and say, thank you, Father, that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And then as we do that... The people behind you and the rest of us in here that already speak in tongues, we're going to start speaking in tongues because the Bible says that when you speak in tongues, you're giving thanks unto God. So we're going to start thanking Him in this heavenly language and praising Him. And as we start speaking in tongues, quit talking in English and go to speaking in tongues with us. And, you know, when you first do this, it's different for some people. Some people have dramatic experiences. When I first spoke in tongues, I didn't feel anything except embarrassment. I just felt like this is absolutely stupid. I didn't understand what I was saying. And I had been taught against it so long that I just was embarrassed about it. But you know what? I kept doing it because I knew the power that was involved in it. And over a period of time, God confirmed it to me. And now I don't have any problems with that. I speak in tongues a lot. 
But the number one thing that hindered me from speaking in tongues at first was that I thought God was going to force me to speak in tongues. I thought that when I opened up my mouth that it was just going to be like the Holy Ghost forced me. He took possession and made me speak in tongues. That's not how it happens. I read that verse tonight, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says, they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you and you have to give voice to it. You have to speak. It's very similar to like when I preach tonight. I believe that the Lord spoke through me, but he didn't force me to say what I'm saying. That's the reason it came out in my personality. It was me talking, but I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired it. Likewise, you have to start speaking and by faith believe that the Holy Spirit's inspired it. Some of you will think, well, it's just me. Well, it is you, but it's not just you. It's you being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And anyway, I've got a book that will explain this and answer your questions. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. So this is what we're going to do, okay? Y'all believe you're going to receive? The Bible says, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you for those who prayed tonight for salvation. We believe according to the word of God that they are brand new creations. That Father, they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That all of us up here now have already prayed. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we open up the doors of our temple and we say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our lives. We desire your power. We want this anointing in our life. We want this fire to come dwell upon this temple and start giving us revelation and power to overcome. So we welcome you and ask right now in the name of Jesus. We lay hands on you now in Jesus' name and say, receive the Holy Spirit. We loose this power to come into every one of your lives. Father, we loose the Holy Spirit to come into these people now in Jesus' name. Boy, here is the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for coming and indwelling us. Thank you for this power coming into our lives right now. Thank you for the difference that this is going to make in our life. I want you to start thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit. Let's put your hands up, just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. Thank you, Father, for giving me the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that I am God-possessed, that you will never leave me nor forsake me, and I am filled with your power. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's start speaking in tongues right now. And as we speak in tongues and give thanks to God, change from English to speaking in tongues and just go to worshiping God and praying in a language that you don't understand to open your mouth to pray in tongues. You can't pray in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to make some sounds. You got to talk. I know some of you say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do this. You can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue will be unique to you. It won't be the same as anybody else's. And so you won't be able to say what they're saying. It won't come out the same. 
So if you try to say what they're saying and it comes out different, just keep talking. Don't quit. Just keep talking. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just be bold and talk. Right now, don't worry about what it sounds like. You aren't talking to yourself. You're talking to God. When a little baby first talks, it doesn't sound like a fluent language, but that father knows what that child is saying. Your heavenly father is listening to your heart. He's pleased because you're bypassing the doubt and the unbelief of your mind and you're praying out of your spirit. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Be bold with it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for filling every one of these. Thank you for your power coming into their life. Thank you that right now, Father, you're beginning to pray through them with words that aren't limited by unbelief, that they're speaking in the tongues of angels. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Boy, many, many, many of these are speaking in tongues. Thank you, Father. And this is powerful. You're never going to be the same again. Thank you, Jesus. me have your attention. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but there's a couple of things I want to say to you. Whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because he promised that he would. And if you asked and believed, God gave you the Holy Spirit. When I first asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and prayed in tongues, I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't do it immediately. And it was because I was a Baptist. And I'd been told that this was of the devil. And I was just so afraid that I was going to get something from the devil. And I had all kinds of wrong thinking. And the Holy Spirit doesn't force you to speak in tongues. You have to cooperate. And I was just afraid. And so it was three and a half years before I spoke in tongues. But I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And there was a change in my life. But you know what? When I started speaking in tongues, it's like it increased. Just It doubled it tripled. It is a, it's an act of your faith and it's important that you go ahead and speak in tongues and get to where you can do this at any time. Some people think, so can you just turn the Holy Spirit on and off and make him speak in tongues anytime? No, the Holy Spirit's on all of the time. It's you that's on and off. And anytime you want to turn yourself on, you can pray in tongues. He'll always, always give you the utterance to speak in tongues. So I've written down all of the problems I had speaking in tongues, all of the objections and stuff, and I've written it in a book, and I'd like to give every one of you a copy of this book. And I promise you, you need to read the book because you need to understand what this is about. It's a powerful gift, and I've got a lot of things in there about how you can use speaking in tongues to change your life. So I'd like to give this book to you. It also talks about what salvation is. So if any of you prayed for salvation, if you will read that, it will explain what true salvation is, and it'll help you to understand that. So we've got Mark over here that's going to take you through a door and into this little room right there 
We've got books and people that will pray with you and help you. We want you to get the maximum benefit out of what's happened to you. So if you would, if you would just follow Mark for a moment, they're going to give you these books. They will pray with you and they will help you. So just go this way, follow Mark. And man, let's praise God for these. I believe it's going to change your life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Isn't this awesome? Again, I want to thank all of these prayer ministers like the Smiths right here. They, I don't even know where you guys live. Where do you live? Six hours south. And they come to a number of our uh, things and just pray with people. They, they love doing this. These people are here because God has changed their life. They've seen the power of God in them and they want to share with others. So these are our prayer ministers. And if any of you need prayer for anything... They are here to minister to you. And so I encourage you to come forward. Remember that we have the CDs and DVDs from all five services back there. They're already duplicated. You can go back there and pick them up. And we have all of the other materials. Tonight, I'm not going to stay here and pray with people after the service because our, our staff needs to start packing up and uh, so that they can get out of here before 3 o'clock in the morning. It takes quite a while to put all of the stuff up. But the prayer ministers are going to be here to pray with you. So if you need prayer for anything, I invite you to come forward right now. We're going to have people that will stand at the aisles that will direct you towards a prayer minister. And please cooperate with them. And we just agree with you that God is going to do a miracle in your life. The rest of you, you're free to go. Thanks for coming. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing. Amen. And we appreciate it. God bless you.